0: Hi everyone, and welcome to Aval Cafe. My name is Brian Hosler, founder of Strong Roots Consulting based in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, which is on Treaty 6 territory in the traditional homeland of the Métis. I'm joined as always by my co-host.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Carolyn Kamen, an independent evaluation consultant working out of Vancouver, BC, coming to you from unceded Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations territory. This podcast is an informal chat on evaluation topics, the kind you might overhear at your favorite coffee shop if your favorite coffee shop were frequented by evaluators.
0: This podcast is for everyone, expert or novice, longtime practitioner or just starting in the field. Even if you don't identify as an evaluator, as long as you have an interest in evaluation, this podcast is for you.
1: We didn't decide yeah. who was going to introduce this week's topic. <laughs> no, no, we didn't.
0: Mm. Okay.
1: Do you want to? I can. I don't mind. I don't well, care. Why
0: don't you start? You, it's your idea.
1: <laughs> okay, so I'm I'm introducing this week's topic. Uh, because in Brian's word, it's, it's my idea. Um, <laughs> we
2: hey, have this, you it, working? It,
1: for our listeners who might not know this here, I'm going to give some background. Like Brian and I have this like li- ever growing list of, oh, we should talk about that. We should talk about that. And one or the other of us will like always be emailing the other one saying, Hey, I've got an idea for a topic. And then every time we come up to planning a new episode, Brian says, okay, so here's the list of topics we've already agreed we should talk about. Which mm-hmm. one should we do? And then I say. Actually, I just thought of something else. And then we do that one. Uh, that's about 90% of the time, wouldn't you say, is our method?
0: That sounds about right. And that means we will never, ever run out of podcast topics ever. No, I mean, we're not, not even talking about podcast. guests yet, but yeah, we'll never run out of topics.
1: <laughs> we have we have so many topics. Um, but the, the this week's topic, so that people know what we're talking about, Um I'm not even sure exactly. I think my, maybe it's just the time of the year. Maybe it's, you know, it's, it's, we're just heading into spring in Vancouver, at least it's maybe four months away from spring in Saskatoon. Um, but like around here, we've got like crocuses that are popping up and the snowdrops are out and it's just starting to feel like things are, are beginning. And uh, we're also heading into March madness season. So there's sadly lots of projects that are just beginning as well. And I was thinking, what a great topic it would be to talk about. How do we how do we start an evaluation? How do we kick that process off?
0: Mm-hmm. Before we go any further on that, just for the record, there are no snowdrops, no crocuses, and no apparent end to winter here in Saskatoon. As we're recording this, it is currently a stupidly cold temperature just but it's nice and sunny though but it is a stupidly cold temperature so just want to throw that out but yes it is a good time to start thinking about what is what can we do to start or how does we, how do we start um a project as you mentioned we do have march madness uh, soon coming coming upon us uh for those of us who haven't listened to us talk about this topic beforehand uh march madness is kind of the it's not we're not talking about basketball though i guess you could do evaluation in the basketball context. If you do, let us know. That would be really awesome to hear Hear some more about that. <laughs> um, it's purely the fact that a lot of nonprofits or the organizations that fund them have a fiscal year end of March 31 or thereabouts. And as a result, there's sometimes there's a bit of a rush um, at the couple of months leading up to that deadline um, to finish off reports, to maybe use up funding. Um, Basically, in the evaluation world, it can become a very busy time.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's just one of those, one of those cyclical things. Although I will confess, not only is it not stupidly cold where I am, uh, it's it's not minus thirty—that's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I also don't have any March Madness projects lined up. Particular- <laughs> I did last year, but not this year. I don't know why. I think because I had some January madness happening.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it, it can kind of bleed forward a little bit. So yeah, definitely, the, that does give me two reasons to be annoyed. I don't, I'm not sure what the right word is with you right now.
1: Definitely <laughs> more by the end of the episode.
0: Oh, uh, undoubtedly. Well, I mean, we haven't even talked about book recommendations yet, so. <laughs> All right, so um, yeah, but I think uh, let's maybe go onto the topic around starting, um, yeah, starting an evaluation project. Um, and maybe uh, one thing to consider, um, or one resource to go back to, if you haven't listened to already, um, episode thirteen of this very podcast. We talk about client relationships, and a good chunk of starting a project is just. Who are you working with and what kind of connection do you have if you have one already? And if you don't, how do you kind of start things off on a good foot with that person, that organization, that initiative? Um, so maybe it's just a starter. We recommend you, if you haven't listened to it already, stop listening to us right now. Go back and listen to us from last fall, I think it was, uh, and then come back and listen to the rest of this podcast.
1: Yeah, that one's a really good episode. And, and I don't know if this one's going to be any good because we just started it. Hopefully it will be good too. That one's definitely a good episode. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're dancing around starting this episode, Brian. So (laughs) (laughs) it sounds like it. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So do you have a a favorite way that you like to start off evaluation projects?
0: Uh, Well, as the old joke goes, the best way to start is at the beginning. Um, I think the best way, um, if there's someone who's approaching you about conducting an evaluation, is really just to think about or talk to them about um, what's leading you to to come. Like, what's what's the impetus behind the evaluation? What's the purpose of it? What are we trying to learn about or discover? Um, is it for is the evaluation being done as an accountability piece? Is it that you're needing to report to funder about how a program is or has been or will be functioning? Is it more of an internal focus? So, kind of, what's the reasoning behind it? Um, a lot of people may, you know, see evaluation, or they might be told to do an evaluation, uh, but within that term, and I think if you've uh, listened to this podcast uh, for more than one episode, or you just talk to evaluators, uh, you'll recognize that that whole term "evaluation" can be unpacked to mean a whole bunch of different things. Um, so, I think that's kind of the, where I start—is just trying to get some more ideas as to what's actually leading the organization or the initiative or the program to look for an evaluator, look for someone to do an evaluation. And that's the same whether you're an external evaluator or someone internally to the team conducting an evaluation. What's what's the reason behind it?
1: Yeah, that's where I start too, I think. Like that's always my first, um, the first set of questions. It's not necessarily one question, but sort of set mm-hmm. of questions that I, I come to of like, okay, what's, what's driving this? And sometimes I find, I don't know if you do, that the first answer to that question is not necessarily always the, the full answer to that question. Like mm-hmm. when you sit down with someone, it's like, okay. And, and it depends a little on the type of project as well, um, where that start feels like it's happening. Because sometimes, you know, it might be someone's kind of approach to you to say, hey, uh, can, we, can we talk about what maybe evaluation might look like for my organization or my program? Um, and it's kind of a slow easing into it. Mm-hmm. And then other times you might be like, you've re- responded to an RFP and you won the bid and now it's like, okay, we're, we're off to the races. And, and that's, can be a bit more of a, an abrupt start. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like to, yeah, sit down with, with whoever I need to sit down with, sometimes depending on the nature but maybe that's one person, maybe it's a group of people, um, the, the people who are sort of driving it or, or have been sort of located as, as, as the source of it, you know, whoever my main contact is going to be and start asking about, you know, yeah, need and purpose. But um, sometimes the initial need is sort of like, oh, well, you know, we want to, uh, you know, understand how our, our, our program is doing, you know, we've, we've done this and this, but now we'd like to see something like this. But then you sit with them for a little while longer, maybe you find out, oh, actually, they're terrified of losing their funding. And the mm-hmm. real thing that's really driving them right now is they're hoping that they can get a, an, a, an evaluation that is going to give them the kinds of find, findings that will help them keep their funding,
2: mm-hmm.
1: or vice versa. Someone might come in and say, "Yeah, we, ha- you know, our funder requires this, so we, this is why we're here. This is what we're going to do. Um, that's what, that's why we've contacted you." And then you sit with them a little while longer, and you find out, "Oh, actually, they're really interested and curious about finding out about a certain aspect of their program." And there's, there's that there as well. So I feel like there can be different layers of of purpose. And it can take a little while to unravel that whole story.
0: Totally agree. And um, yeah, just having that sit down and doing a little bit of digging. Um, and uh, you didn't mention explicitly, but sometimes you might start a conversation around evaluation and then you discover that actually... An evaluation is not what they need at either that moment of time, or is just something that, yeah, they're just not in that place where where they could benefit from it? Um, or evaluation can be used in coded ways. Um, uh, I've had some, I've seen some some instances where it's been used as a way to cloak um, conflict within an organization, where there's mm-hmm. maybe they're looking for the evaluation to come in and you know prove a certain way of doing things as the quote right way, or trying to use that as a way to bring people in line. That's obviously a very extreme case, but um, I've seen and heard of some cases where it seems like that's, and I don't think it's being done maliciously necessarily, but just more like, okay, the evaluation will come in and be this objective process that will prove that we should do things this way. And like, uh, it doesn't work that way. And if you're having internal issues like that, maybe you need someone who is actually can help you facilitate and mediate that conflict, not an evaluator who's um, to give kind of a sheen to some sort of conflict happening within the organization.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's another really important thing to find out is um, not just, you know, what questions are they trying to answer, but what answers are they hoping to get? Mm-hmm. If if any, sometimes people have a very clear, like, no, we, we know exactly what we want to see. And other times they're like, we're just, we just are curious. We want to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, it can depend a lot. Yeah
0: yeah, maybe it's part of that too, is what happens if you don't get the answers or what if the evaluation leads in this direction? And you think you know we're just trying to do as a random example, we're just trying to improve the current program. We think that there's some changes that can be made to make it better. But then we come as the evaluator and start digging and we find, oh, like you know people are not showing the benefits that that everyone thought that this program is is producing. And calls them to question the whole point of the program. Are you ready to kind of deal with that kind of feedback if and when it comes up and respond to it?
1: Yeah. Do you ever give clients sort of like hypothetical finding scenarios of like, okay, so what? So this is what you're expecting to see. What happens if we, you know, Mm -hmm. instead of seeing, you know, X kind of increase on said metric, uh, actually, maybe we don't get it? Uh, maybe there's a decrease or maybe there's inconclusive or what if there's okay the the surveys say this, but the interviews say this like do you do those scenarios?
0: um not explicitly in that respect, um but I think a lot of the clients I work with are kind of coming more from a general like a a curiosity and say like, okay, like how are we going to use this information to you know inform the ongoing work of this program or or development or whether we continue doing it or not So it seems like, and knock on wood, uh, I've been lucky enough to work with organizations that are that have that open-mindedness, but that's a, a good approach too, just to kind of lay out scenarios and say, like, what if this happens or what do we find this and how do we respond to that? Have you used that before?
1: I have. Um, I don't necessarily. It, it depends on if, if the moment feels right for it, sort of. There. Yeah, mm. sometimes it, it... If I see that they have a really strong orientation to hoping for one particular set of findings, or if there is a sense of like, we really need this to happen, then I definitely want to walk them through the the possible alternatives as early as possible. Um, mm-hmm. Because you, we never know what we're going to find. We really no. don't. If we knew what we were going to find, why would we evaluate? exactly um (laughs) so yeah it kind of depends on that scenario and it can be it can be great i mean i do i absolutely present it as so so hypothetical findings this happens what do we do what what do you Mm -hmm. make of that and and really frame it in an open way and it's prompted some really um thoughtful reflections sometimes it's changed how we approach things like oh yeah maybe we don't want to rely so heavily on, on just that particular metric maybe we need to think about some of the if we don't get our sort of key outcome that we're really hoping for are there some more intermediate outcomes that we also want to be looking at um, so that we have something maybe to fall back on in case we don't see that that key change um, mm-hmm. yeah I think it's it's really 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 helpful to do that up front so I should probably do that more actually than what I think. or at least when it's appropriate i think that there's there's one of those context sensitive things as well
0: Hmm, definitely um i do want to kind of as the next maybe um point to think about is around how do we set maybe some parameters around an evaluation uh, as kind of part of starting it like what what goes into it but just uh one thing i just want to kind of rewind a little bit um you said uh, a while back um is around RFPs and you're commenting that, you know, if there's an RFP, usually kind of you get in more abruptly and there's kind of things that are set out already. But I found in my experience too sometimes that even though an organization may put out an RFP and it may lay out, we're the evaluation for this, we want, you know, you to do these activities, we need to have this kind of purpose. Uh, even sitting down and talking with the organization before the deadline or even when you're in that negotiation phase after submitting a proposal, sometimes you can find that what they have written down on paper in the RFP and what they actually are looking for can be two different things. Um, yeah, just uh, it might be an old RFP that they've you know just taken taken down from the shelf and dusted off, or maybe they this they thought this is what a valuation RFP should look like. But it, even if it doesn't meet their needs, but just because it's an RFP, don't take it as as complete gospel that that's that's exactly what the organization is looking for.
2: Oh, that's
1: such a good point. And I have learned that one the hard way too. Uh, <laughs> definitely have made the mistake of just, you know, thinking, Oh, it's already written down. This is, you know, they must have really, this must really represent what they want. Um, great, that'll save us some time at the outset. No, don't do mm. that. <laughs> always, <laughs> always check those assumptions. That's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Even just to be able to, yeah, sit down with that original, with that RFP, with that outline and, and sort of talk through and, and figure out what they're looking for. Um, I think basically all the same steps apply, whether you have something like that or not.
0: Right. Um, it can. It's a good It's a good point for starting the conversation, but it shouldn't be the end of the conversation.
1: Yeah, definitely. And actually, so I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I've had this experience now of... Um, Taking over or stepping into an evaluation project that was already underway, Mm. which is another kind of interesting scenario. And uh, the same thing applies there. Don't assume that just because things are already underway that they don't bear, uh, you know, a need for reexamination to check in and be like, hey, is this is are things actually unfolding the way that we wanted them to unfold? Um, mm-hmm. are there is there anything you know when you because when you bring a new person and you, you kind of create an interesting opportunity to to pivot or shift directions or add things uh, in it a little differently we're all every evaluator is different we all approach our, our processes different these are not uh person neutral processes
2: mm-hmm.
1: evaluation very much is about who you are and what you bring to it so I think right. Anytime you step into a project, whether it's the, I mean, do we, I mean, we talk about the beginning of an evaluation project, but the beginning of an evaluation project, uh, even if you can pin that down to like, I feel like we're talking sort of like post-contract, but pre like work starting. That's what I feel like that's how we're we're defining start of an evaluation project. That's how I'm probably Hmm. defining it at least. Um, But I mean, even in that moment, you're still stepping into something that's already happening. Right. You know that whole situation already exists. So taking stock of your context always, I think, applies.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I like what you said about it's all. It can be an opportunity for a pivot, and even if it's not even just process, but it could be a chance to kind of reaffirm that you're that the outcomes you're working for, uh, you're working towards are meaningful. That um, the program itself hasn't changed over time because it's just nature things to to change or to. Um, show adaptations. Obviously, if it's a f- program from an external funder um, or the, if an external funder is, is commissioning the evaluation or funding the program itself, uh, some outcomes might be set in stone, but some may not be. And there might be an opportunity to go back and say, okay, this is what we've been seeing, but maybe the program has drifted over time or it needs to just to shift and Let's use, you know, the reason of having a new evaluator on on hand as maybe being one reason to kind of go back and examine that and potentially reimagine not just the evaluation, but the program itself.
1: Right. You also get that neat opportunity to, and this, I think this applies whether you're stepping in sort of at the beginning of a project or midway through a project. Because again, you're always stepping into a, a program process that's midway. Um, mm-hmm. Is you get to be the you get to be the person who asks like the dumb obvious questions because you're new you're the new mm-hmm. guy, yep. uh, You get to be that naive tester. I love asking the dumb questions mm-hmm. because the dumb questions are the ones that should get asked uh, sometimes and never get asked because people are afraid yep. or or they or they don't even think of them because they seem so obvious. To be like, oh yeah, so you know what you know is that is that an outcome we And We're seeing that in the data. That wasn't something we talked about. Is that is, are we going to do anything with that? oh wow we weren't even paying attention to that because it wasn't in our original model like that's I mean that's kind of what you're supposed to do as an evaluator all the time but it's especially easy to do that at the beginning of a project because you really don't know Um, and then I think it's harder to hang on to that I think it's actually really good to check back in with that mindset throughout Mm -hmm. the project and try to look at your data with fresh eyes too
0: yeah definitely hold on to that naive perspective as long as possible and to but yeah, sometimes if you've been in for too long, you kind of forget and things become, become uh, routinized. Rut- they become just, you know, oh, it's just day in, day out, normal stuff. And then you realize, hmm, wait a sec, since when did I start saying that this is normal or that this is the way it's always been? And what when did I stop having that yeah kind of fresh outside perspective?
1: Yeah. Oh, that reminds me of something else I like to do. I don't always do it all the way through a project. Um, sometimes it falls off and I should probably think about why that happens and if I should change it. But especially at the beginning of a project, I do a lot of journaling, mm. uh, especially if I'm doing developmental work. I definitely, definitely, if I'm doing developmental work, I do just a lot of like personal self journaling, reflection, capturing my thoughts and ideas somewhere um, because I'm, I'm having so many first impressions and I know that I'm seeing things at the beginning that I don't have enough context to understand yet. Mm-hmm. But if I reflect on them, you know, a little later, I'll be like, oh, oh, I noticed that. Oh, I noticed that early on. I didn't know what it meant, but I did see it. Um, Or I'd forgotten about that. Oh, yeah. Wow. Like that's been Mm -hmm. very, very helpful for me. That's not necessarily something that I do with a client to start things off, but that's something I find very helpful to do when I'm when I'm trying to figure out what my relationship is with a project like that for me is like that 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 orientation I'm going to go back to the to the relationship metaphors again of just like <laughs> the first date um you're just you're just getting to know the person asking them all those questions in this mm. case the person is the project I don't know how that works <laughs> is that weird? um yeah and I'm just yeah I find journaling and and that kind of reflective practice is really useful, but I will say as I get into projects, I, that will sort of drop off. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I'll get sort of wrapped up in the work and I'll be like, I know what's happening now. I don't need to write this down. Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
1: But I should maybe re-examine that and see if I need a little more discipline there. If there's some value to keeping on with that. If something big happens, I'll write about it too, but I don't necessarily do it as much.
0: Yeah. Maybe that's just a reminder. Maybe it needs to be less frequent as to go into the project, but, um, um, yeah, still keeping that up and that could maybe help to provide that uh, that fresh perspective. And do you use any particular reflection questions or is it just kind of an open-ended, you know, here's how the project is going so far?
2: Um,
1: I usually have just been doing my own sort of free form reflection. The way I do reflection is often um, I will take note of just things I observe about uh dynamics between Mm -hmm. people statements that people said that sort of strike me as like oh that seems like it's touching at the heart of an issue um or or patterns that come up like oh this you know everyone i talked to about this kind of said the same thing or outliers like oh everyone said the same thing except one person who said something Mm -hmm. really different um, mm-hmm. my own experiences of like, oh, this is how I'm feeling about this. I'm feeling apprehensive or I'm feeling excited. And then what that might be connected to.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so it's a very much like, uh, an observation, like it's, it's very grounded in just what I'm observing a little bit of interpretation, like maybe sort of mm-hmm. the, the the beginnings of, oh, I wonder if that might mean this, but mostly I'm just trying to capture what the experience is and what I'm mm. seeing. Um, And I have been experimenting with some like specific reflection uh, process. I got exposed to some in a course I'm taking right now. Uh, One of the ones I think, I think I just remember this one because it was just so easy to remember. The, what is it? It's got this little acronym, uh, GTDD, which stands for Good, Tricky, Do Differently which is, you know, you reflect on, okay, what was good about that? What was tricky about it? And what would you do differently? Mm-hmm. Um, which was just like this one and this whole list of of, of ex- possible reflection exercises. And for some reason, it's just the one that's stuck in my head. I don't always write about it, though. I'll just sort of more talk myself through it after right. things. <laughs> um, when I'm writing, it's more just like, yeah, I just I just try to get down as many mm-hmm. things as I'm thinking about it or noticing in that situation. That's right. how I journal.
0: Nice. I think another maybe complimentary one, I'm just thinking back to our evaluation in Star Trek episode, but, um, you know, always in Star Trek, they have like the captain's log or the first officer's log, the little voiceover, usually after the commercial break about what's happening and a way to fill the, uh, viewer in as to provide some expose backstory without having to be obviously expose backstory, but, um, It'd be cool to have an evaluator's log, you know, every week. Evaluator's log, star date. I, I want that
1: ca- capability. Can I have a smart house that has that built in? I don't actually want to look at a smart house. That sounds terrifying. But I want that. <laughs> Specifically that functionality.
0: I, I mean, we, we can... It's easy enough to actually start a podcast. So you could just start your own podcast <laughs> for a specific project. Well,
1: that's, that's true. I could just record. I think the, my issue then is I would never listen to them again. <laughs> I rarely listen to this <laughs> podcast again. <laughs>
0: The truth comes out.
1: No, I do. I do. But not right away. <laughs> uh, I get so self-conscious.
0: Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think that shows that reflection doesn't have to be written reflection. I mean, if you go more towards um, an audio form, um, I mean, most phones have like voice memo or kind of a similar recording functionality. If you want to do graphic drawing I don't know, sculptures, we we're talking about creativity at the top of the year. So this could be a way to, uh, to use that some creativity and how do you reflect and try to make meaning of, uh, of what you're seeing in your evaluation practice.
1: Yeah, that's true. I also use a lot of, I've described this elsewhere that I have a sort of active reflection process, which looks like me pasting around my office, talking to myself and occasionally putting things on post-it notes so that I can then argue with the post-it notes.
0: Um, <laughs> is, this on, is this on your, uh, your, your shower curtain whiteboard?
1: Yes, this is on the shower curtain slash whiteboard that I have in my office. Um, <laughs> I feel like we're drifting a little from our topic here. We've gone into re- reflection practices. Um, are there any other like practices or methods or habits or things you like to do? Even like, is there anything ceremonial you like to do for yourself kicking off a, an evaluation project?
0: Uh, more in the pragmatic side of things. Um, I've started... Um, uh, setting up kind of template folders. And this sounds like it might be a good post for my uh, side blog, Valon Plus, talking about some of the like more technical and uh, productivity kind of side of things. But basically, you can kind of set up a folder in advance, which would have maybe different templates or like the folder structure. So like each project usually will have a folder structure which would have one folder for to contain the proposal and any related documents, one folder for invoices and receipts another folder for um uh, interview forms and uh interview guide uh, interview guides that kind of thing another one for storing documents so i kind of instead of like oh like how did i set up that folder on my computer last time how did i i just actually have something or i can just kind of copy paste it has all like kind of the blank forms you can start filling it out um, just so i'm not spending time um you know, trying to dig out like, oh, I used that great questionnaire like two years ago. Where was that? Or like, how did I format that consent form again? Um, this way, I just have like always like, okay, here's all the pieces I need. I'll obviously adapt it based on whatever the current project is. But just to say, you know, okay, here I have everything. It's kind of just like setting your, your desk up or setting... Um, you know, when you're going into an interview, having your consent form and having your recorder and setting everything up just properly, but just doing that kind of an electronic sense, making sure that I have, you know, all the dates from my proposal entered into my calendar. So just kind of making sure that everything is kind of set up just so, just so I'm not scrambling later on.
1: I know you said that was like a practical side of things, but to me, that is, that is kind of the ceremony of starting mm. a project. Like I, I was so happy you brought that up. I'm like, Oh, I do the same, not quite the same way. In fact, I nerdily very much want to know what your folder structure is. Cause I'm so <laughs> curious. <laughs> um, I know, yeah, I have my own setup and I've got, you know, a folder per project. Um, and then I, I usually have sort of like, there's this any background materials is one of mine. Mm-hmm. Like any, if I've pulled stuff off the website, I always save, if I look at a, a website, I always like print or download or save pages from it because sometimes I've had, like websites will get changed or redesigned mid project. I'm like, oh, but you mm-hmm. had information on there that I was in context <laughs> and I wanted to know that. So I always save that. Any background materials they send. And then I probably have another folder that's sort of like contract stuff, like you know the the official paperwork kind of stuff I don't want to lose track of. And then I'll probably have a folder. I don't have as much of a, mine's a little bit more, um, I I create folders as I need to, but there's usually a folder per sort of project component. So if there's a, if I'm developing a survey, there'll be a folder devoted to that, another one for interview stuff, or there's usually a folder specific to the report and things like that. Like, yeah, I like to keep everything nicely, nicely Mm -hmm. chunked up so that I can find it again. But yeah, I want to know what
0: your system is. Yeah, well actually you're right though, and it does sound like it is kind of ritualistic a little bit, I guess. Um I wasn't sure when you're saying ritual, I don't know, light a candle or something or <laughs> uh, <laughs> make invocations to the evaluation gods that it goes well. We could we can hope. But um yeah, um I think I think I definitely will um um write a blog post about that but i'm just going to pull up one right now that i have just to see what the general ones are uh yeah proposal invoices and receipts reports those are kind of the top three level ones and i put a little asterisk in front of it in front of those ones so that they will always be on the top um That's in list smart. of folders um actually that one i might have changed around a little bit the one i currently have up here but uh data is always one and that would be folders within it like organizational data so existing uh, program data. There's one for transcripts underneath there. If I'm doing interviews or focus groups, uh, there's a methods folder which would have things like interviews or focus groups, anything where there might be a consent form or a question guide or a survey. I'll go under there too. Um, uh, one for organizational documents. Um, so if there's any kind of program documentation, any previous evaluations or reviews, or just documents about the program itself. Um, usually have one too for any kind of um, program models. So any either ones that have been created or that I create, so logic models or theories Mm -hmm. of change. Um, Yeah, I think those are kind of the major ones that I've had. I'm looking through some past ones here too. Uh, Literature, if it's a bit more of an in-depth one where I need to be actually looking at some more, um, or I might be bringing in some previous evaluation uh, work. Uh, Meeting notes, I've found myself using a different... Uh, like a a note-taking app called Bear, which you can kind of have folders within that. So I don't usually use the meeting notes within a folder structure anymore, but I do have it set up in in Bear for a specific uh, tag for each project. So yeah, I think that's pretty much most of what I
1: have in my
0: my folders. But yeah, I think I'll write a, a blog post about it sometime.
1: I have no idea if our... Listeners are going to be as riveted as I am listening to you (laughs) describe your folder structure or thinking about folder structures, but I think it's important. I think it says something about how we interact with these projects, um, how we organize information about them.
2: Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm just
1: now want to peek into everyone's file systems and see how they structure their folders around projects. But I think that's another important part of like, I have, I have these two folders, one called potential projects and one projects. And so mm-hmm. I'll, if I, if I hear about something or if we're so, it's sort of in the air, that's where I'll, where I'll start building that project folder in the potential projects one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then for me, it's that moment of like, aha, like the contract is signed or things are, we have our first meeting set. Now I'm going to move it from a, the potential projects folder <laughs> into the projects folder. And that's my little like, aha, nice. now it's, now it's begun kind of ceremony that, uh, right. <laughs> Let's me know that it's we've started.
0: So. Yeah, I have a current client project and a proposal stage one. So then it might be the folder in the proposal stage might be worded as proposal, and then that goes into the proposal folder of when it becomes a, a real project. So but yeah, we will we will put uh, warnings in the show notes for this. And maybe,
2: uh, um, I mean, worst case
0: scenario, that's what fast forward buttons are for in podcast players. So yes, they don't.
2: Exactly.
0: <laughs> we did warn people that it might be the kind of conversation that evaluators would have in a coffee shop. And I think the two of us probably would talk folder structures if we were sitting across each other
1: in a coffee shop right now. So we absolutely would. <laughs> and I'd be equally as delighted as I am at this moment. I'm trying to think of other other things that happen uh, at the start of a project, or other things that uh, we, I t- you know, what's you know, what something that I feel like comes up a lot at the start of projects mm. um, that I kind of have to con- sometimes it happens even before you know contracts. Like sometimes it's the very first thing people are asking about when they approach me um, is can we use such and such method
2: mm.
1: or how can we use such and such method? Like there's this huge focus right up front on um, yeah, how do we survey this population or can we do SROI or right. like it's very methods focused. And I, my, my inclination there is always to be like, I mean, anything's possible, but let's, let's work mm-hmm. back to what question you're trying to answer. Um, like I find it, I don't, I generally try to meet people where they're at, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I think when people come in with a really, really methods focused approach I just know from experience that's not the right way to structure an evaluation right so that's where I do try to redirect people
2: gently mm-hmm.
0: yep I uh, definitely hear you and it, you raised one point which I think we've maybe had implicit in our minds but haven't actually said explicitly is defining what is the evaluation question or questions um, like what are we at what is this evaluation? like, what are, we, what are the questions we're trying to answer as part of this evaluation? I know we kind of talked about purpose, but I don't think we actually talked specifically about defining mm. actual questions that we're trying to answer as part of this. So it might be like, oh, you know, how's the program working? Like, well, we can actually break that down into more specific questions as well. So, um, but yeah, definitely... Um, and I think uh, going back to the whole method thing, I've seen that before. And I think I've also been guilty of that before too, where it's like, oh, I learned about this new method at a workshop two months ago. I totally want to use it right now. <laughs> this sounds like a perfect oh, project. And then I have to stop you myself. Not and, you not alone. Wait, wait. is this that?
2: actually good?
0: That. Though sometimes yeah. we go to the opposite yeah. extreme too, where it's like, am I just using this because it's my shiny new hammer, my toolbox and now I'm seeing everything as a, as a nail, but it could be that it actually is a nail in which case it is actually good to use the hammer. But yeah. So sometimes it gets caught in that. I think I, it's actually useful, but what if it isn't is, what if I just want to use it because it's the new shiny thing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think we're, I think we all struggle with that. I mean, method, I mean when people bring methods questions to me, I get excited because I'm a big methods nerd and I think it's exciting. It's, you know, it, often an exciting design challenge and i have to talk myself down mm. off that as well um because when it comes down to it i yeah you, there are all these all these questions like well wh- what method should we use or should we use this or am i am i just using this because i'm excited about it if you're going back to well what question are we trying to answer and in what context what mm-hmm. matters to this group of people um that's something else i try to find out early on is what are their values mm-hmm. even like asking them what are your values and getting that stated early, early on, because that to me will influence a lot of then the design that flows from that.
2: Mm-hmm. What are
1: they trying to learn? What are they, what are the constraints that they're operating in and what are their values?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then from there, that will always, always, always help me answer those methods questions, mm-hmm. um, and, and get around my own biases or inclinations or like, Ooh, but I really want to use such and such method.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, um, you also mentioned context, and I think that's a important one to consider as well as part of the start of a, of any evaluation is just kind of getting that understanding of the context. And, um, you know, we were talking about rituals for ourselves as, as evaluators. Um, sometimes there could be appropriate to have some kind of, whether it's a, a ceremony if you're working in an Indigenous context or just something to kind of recognize with with the client and the people you're working with that, yes, we're, we're starting on this Um Um, I'm not sure like, um, if it's a longer project, um, I've done some longer phrase one, longer term ones where I've participated in a planning retreat and just showing you like, yes, I'm here as part of this. And usually, of course, you know, retreats have some, you know, more fun or team building activities. Um, depending on the circumstances, maybe it's appropriate to be part of that. Say, you know, I'm, I'm walking with you on this journey as part of this. Um, and then certainly uh, if you're working in, Indigenous context. I'm finally getting around to reading Sean Wilson's book, Research as uh, Research as Ceremony. Um, it's Yay. such a it's a nice, you know, compact book, but for it, it's just I'm taking my time just reading through it because it's it's got such rich um, rich insights into it. But um, yeah, like if if you're taking that perspective, and if it's it, you may actually need to build in time to and to incorporate relationship building and to incorporate some form of actual ceremony as part of
2: it.
1: Yeah, what is this? um, Go slow to go fast. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's like actually a facilitation um, uh, truism or 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 principle. But the idea of going slow to go fast, I'll look up where that. I've heard it around so many places. I'll I'll look up where it actually has come from and, and put that in the show notes.
0: I've heard of go slow to go far. Is that?
1: No, go slow to go fast is definitely. Here I'm going to Google it while I'm sitting here. Um, it makes
0: good podcasting.
1: <laughs> but the so the idea behind that um, is that sometimes uh, the the fastest way to get somewhere mm-hmm. is to is to go the slow way. Mm-hmm. Um, or the other thing I heard uh, someone share with me the other day was uh, moving at the speed of trust. Mm particularly when there are relationships involved. And I think any evaluation. I mean, we have a whole episode about client relationships where we talked about um, the importance of our relationships at the beginning of a project, which, yeah, episode 13, go check that out. Um, mm-hmm. But whenever you're, we're talking about relationships and people, I think, yeah, when we start these projects, starting uh, with that relationship, I'm not rehashing the information from episode 13, but starting there <laughs> and building that time in and putting the time mm-hmm. in, and, yeah, doing things like, immersing yourself in what their context is and and doing some of that participant observation and not learning about what their experiences are by being with them and hearing Mm -hmm. from them and reflecting back and talking with them about it. Super
2: useful.
0: Mm -hmm, Definitely. And, you know, we may think or we know for ourselves that like we are ethical practitioners or we hope we are and that we'll we'll work with people and we're not just coming into, you know, torpedo a program or something. But the people we're working with may not necessarily know or they may not assume that, or even if, you know, the, the manager or the or point person with that organization trusts us, the people who we're interviewing or the people that are actually running the program on the ground may not have that same feeling. So definitely building, building trust. Um, Cause if, if you don't have that, then you can go as quick as you want and then you might encounter roadblocks down the road and you're back to score one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that even speaks to that whole, like, sometimes it takes a while for the story of why they've asked you there to unravel. Like, mm-hmm. if you come in and the idea is, okay, we need to get into data collection as quickly as possible, especially this time of year with March Madness and all of that. <laughs> there's that there's that pressure to be like, okay, we have to, like, zip through this early stuff as quickly as we can so we can really get into the project. And I think, I mean, that's, that's where you run into problems. That's where I've run into mm-hmm. problems of like, oh, we've got the RFP. That's settled. We, you know, we know that we don't have to check in. No, check in. Take yeah. your time. Make sure that you're starting really, really well and you won't find yourself a few weeks or a few months later wanting to like tear all your hair out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or you might, but less. Right.
0: <laughs> I think never assume that's going to be static. And even if they were completely, even if the RFP was a completely 100% accurate reflection of where they were at and what they were thinking when they decided, oh, we need an evaluation. If it Even if it's taking only just a couple of weeks to go through that process of issuing and selecting and usually takes you at least a month or so um, before everything is lined up. That's still a month where things could be changing. People can be just by the sheer act of, um, of writing that RFP and thinking about it and hearing from proponents and selecting a, a consultant that could change how they approach the program, how they think about it. And of course, completely ignoring what might be happening, you know, external to the program that could have an influence on it. So yeah, never assume that, um, that things are going to stay still.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so, always taking that time to check in and, and making that be a part of the process is, mm-hmm. I think, I think that I think that's sort of the, for me that that's the takeaway message of of how how do we start evaluation projects um, and how we start them well is to make sure that we spend the time on the things that need time spent on them.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, that sounds good. Um, anything else?
1: Trying to yeah,
0: think. Any final thoughts?
1: Or oh, do we... oh, I've got one last tip. Make yes. sure that you find out early on what are their actual deadlines. Like what? When do they? Need, <laughs> when do they need this stuff by? Yes. <laughs> Always find that out.
0: <laughs> yes, especially with March Madness, I found um, sometimes there's some wiggle room from that March 31 deadline. Sometimes it's the work needs to be substantively done. Sometimes you just need to invoice but if there's still some going back and forth on the final draft that's fine sometimes it's march 31 is a hard deadline and of course any deadline doesn't doesn't have to be just march 31 but yeah that's always good to clarify and yeah like there might be
1: the deadline but then there's also oh we're gonna have this like really important like annual staff meeting happening at, at this point in time and it would be super great to have some like preliminary findings to share at that point like knowing finding out even like having it like drawn out or written out or like bring in a calendar mm-hmm. or something like find out what those critical dates are yep. and plan around them.
2: Mm-hmm,
0: definitely. Great. Well, I think that's, that's it for, for the start. I think uh, we've finally found our start to this, uh, to this episode um, just in time to finish it. So that's good.
1: <laughs> and at some point we can do an episode where we cover how to middle an evaluation and how to end one.
0: Yes. <laughs> I think that's a good point to end for now. The story will continue.
1: That's it for this episode of Eval Cafe. Thank you to all our listeners. Please check out the rest of our episodes on Pinecast, iTunes, or Google Play, or by going to our website, evalcafe.wordpress.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at Eval Cafe. And if you want to drop us a line, you can find us at evalcafe.podcast at gmail.com. Musical credits go to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Poppers and Prosecco, our intro theme, and Dispersion Relation, our outro, as well as to Tim at TabletopAudio.com for the lively cafe ambiance in our intro. (laughs)
0: Uh, Yeah, this is going to be a fun one to edit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It'll be fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think this one's on me
2: (laughs) this one's gonna have some good blooper material i think or just we'll keep it all in and